welcome to Talk West, where every episode we'll be diving into the latest topics and trends in advertising, marketing, design, and more. I'm your host, Chris Bunn. In this week's episode, I grabbed a cup of coffee with Walk West CEO Donald Thompson about the development of his personal brand, why brand integrity matters, and the benefits of true web accessibility. I also sat down to talk to Ben Swain of Sports Channel 8 to talk about how they built their production from basement tapes to a daily radio show with Capital Broadcasting and the biggest sports radio channel in the state. First up, my interview with Donald Thompson. So, Don, how's it going? Good, man. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> I'm good. The uh, the design world at Walk West is uh, as busy as ever, so no complaints on my end. That is a, a blessing and also um, a compliment to the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm very happy with the clients that we've had lately, and um, yeah, I'm looking to build on it. You know, we've had a lot of really fun clients to work with, and I think that's a you know, it's a testament to the people that we bring in and the clients that we work with. It's been great. You know, collaboration, I think, has been pretty good considering, like, we've all been stuck at home for the last six weeks. I mean, we've we've adapted pretty well on the fly. And, you know, we've made inroads with some of these clients in a way that would have been so much easier before, but we've found a way around it. You know, now that we can't meet in person, we can't have those like, that coffee meet and greet, you know, so to speak. That's exactly right. So I'll lead off. Uh you want to talk about your brand? Your brand's pretty fun. I think we uh, we did something pretty cool with that this year. So I'd love to get your thoughts. How do you feel about your new brand? So a couple things, and thanks for asking. And you guys did a tremendous job. But let me tell you why you guys did a tremendous job. Right? The brand looks good. The photos are amazing. The look and feel is good. But anytime you're expending time, effort, and energy on a project, uh, you guys treated me as a client. So I had that experience, just like our clients. And the client experience was really good. Right, because one of the things that I felt throughout the process is that you guys had a direction that you wanted to take with my brand and a way to create an authentic vision for what I wanted to do. But you were very collaborative with me throughout the process, right? Because we had a lot of back and forth, right? I didn't love everything. Uh, And then I have lots of ideas and all my ideas aren't good. (laughs) So (laughs) one one of the compliments I would say in terms of the process of brand is when I did have a question or I did have an idea of how to do something, you created alternatives. You tried to directionally understand what I wanted. And even if it would maybe take it out of budget or really create a, a, a timeline impact without significant benefit, you walked me through it by giving me options. And that made me feel good about the ultimate direction uh, that you guys wanted to lead me to. So yes, the site good. looked amazing, but I'm more impressed with the process and the leadership you guys showed at each step of the way. You know, it's funny you say that because we had a, a meeting with a client recently and, and one of the things that always gets brought up in our, our design process is like, okay, what's our opportunity for feedback? How do we collect that information? How do we implement it across like the designs or development? You know, it's one of those things like we kind of bake in like part of our system. It's like, okay, we have these review sessions. This is usually when they occur. That's kind of what our structure is. And a client asks like, okay, well, if you know, after that review session, we're still, you know, not really feeling it. We still don't like it. Like, what do we do? And I kind of went back to him. I said, I mean, listen, if it takes three or four attempts to get the website, to get the social graphic, whatever it is, to the point that makes you happy, so be it. You know, the goal is to design a product that works for you, that, you know, is accomplishing your business goals, but also you're just happy with, like, you're proud to show that to someone else. 
because ultimately at the end of the day, if it's working and you're still not proud of it, it's probably not something you're going to share and really use to maximize the efforts that we put into it. You really need all of that stuff to come together for it to really be successful and for it to work with like the social strategy that you put together, any marketing strategy that you put together. All of those are, are pillars to a, a greater process. So like, I'm, I'm very happy that you're, you're happy with the web design and everything. And I, I think that's just like the first step, you know, like that's one of the, the keys to like really unlocking the full brand and using it, you know, the best way we can. You know, the other thing to extend on that is happiness is different with each client. And for us, we wanted a brand that looked and felt powerful from an aesthetic standpoint, but we also want it to be very easy for people to get in touch with us. Very easy to find the contact page or the information they need to make a decision. And this morning, I actually had a phone call with one of the fastest growing business startups in the country. A billion dollar valuation, super successful. They saw some of the content that we had out on the, the web, went to our site, donaldthompson.com, and walked all the way through the process, contact form, our team got the information, and then I was on the phone today and they want to quote. So that's it, great. It's both the aesthetic, but how does somebody get great information for what they're looking for on the site that then converts right into an active conversation, right? That can turn into revenue. And so when people are looking at brand, and I'm no different. For my personal brand, I want speaking engagements. For my personal brand, I want people to view me as a business authority or a thought leader so that when I'm out as Donald Thompson, CEO of Walk West, people then have a better perspective of Walk West through the lens of Donald Thompson. No different than if somebody goes to the Walk West site and see Chris, and then they see your portfolio and the work you've done at design, Walk West brand has then been extended to you as an individual, and then you now represent that brand in the great work that you do. And all of those pieces kind of tying together is I think what we're going after. And so far, so good. Use case is like vital, right? You know, for you, it's about people getting in touch with you, you know, them understanding you as a thought leader, how they can reach out and connect with you and what kind of services you could provide. You know, we've worked with clients that, you know, maybe they're a higher education system. And the goal is not to it might be to inform, it might be to get you know, students to interact with a portal, it might be to get you know, people to sign up for something. And understanding your key goals as you're developing a website and what the strategy really is, like what do you want your users to do? It's vital, you know, really to the success of any project like that. And often what I, I notice with some of our clients, and really this is just true for like anybody, is there's a very difficult balance to strike between, I wanna tell my user something, and I want my users to be able to find something. And often I think some companies can get caught up in like, I really want my users to know this. When the users really don't care about that piece of information, they're looking to do something a little bit different. And the best companies are the ones that discern that information through data, through you know actual personas and research through their users. And then they tailor the message back to them. They realize like, okay, this is what you're looking for. Let's make that easy. Let's make that you know, right up front, let's connect you with what you're trying to get to. And the rest can be supplemental. But that can be hard for some companies because they think that that information is what differentiates them, but it's not what their users really care about. Mm -hmm. I mean, you make a lot of good points. And I think one of the things as a business person is simplifying your language to the needs of the persona or the user like you described. We all can get in the, in words, 
we can try to use big words that make us sound confident versus simple words that explain things well. And that's the same type of thing that I was pleased with in the design process is that it has a clean look and feel, right? So it's very easy to navigate because there's not a lot of extra stuff that feels out of place that feels not needed. And I think that that is a, a design style, aesthetic, it's, it's design principles. But some people get, I think, too cute with things. I'll give a very specific example. When I see something on my site or sites that I really like, I actually like to see the little icons where I know where the button is that I can move the slides to the left or the right. If I've got to kind of find it and only it rolls over and, and I've got to kind of look and feel, now I feel a little uncomfortable because I want to do something, but I don't know exactly how to do it, right? So yeah. sometimes you can use too much aesthetic feel that doesn't give me the next step I want to proceed with. And I think there was a nice balance of what looks good, how you leverage new technology, but also things that should be just right out in front of you. You go up to the right, man, you hit the little button and it scrolls down the four different ways you can, the about page, the diversity page, the book page. And, and so the simplicity in the UI, I think is the elegance is, is what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, I mean, you bring up uh, what we in the UX field call cognitive friction. If I have to struggle to figure something out about the website, odds are that either A, I'm just leaving immediately, or B, I'm not going to bother to figure it out. And then all that content that you put in there that you wanted to show people, they're just not going to engage with. So it's either you're wasting your time and money producing that content because they can't engage with it. And two, it's just not landing the message that you want it to land. And so one of the battles that I think we, we fight sometimes with clients is that we can design something very clean, simple, that's easy to use. And a client might look at it and say, you know what, just it's not that impressive. It doesn't really grab me. I'm not feeling it, you know? And on one hand, like, I get it. You want something that's going to blow them away at every turn. But on the other hand, you have to account for if we do something that's just like completely unique and no one's ever seen before, are users going to know what to do with it? Are they going to look at it and think, you know what, I don't know what's happening here. I'm just going to skip it. So there's always that balance of it has to look incredible and some, like something no one's ever seen before, but it also has to be very intuitive and easy to use. And the timeline of that second part is fast and it's getting shorter by the day. You know, people's attention spans are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So if they see something they don't understand, they're just at this day and age, they just scroll past it. Yeah. And that honestly creates a lot of content that can just be wasted. And, you know, you're trying to get that message to your users, but they're just not going to see it. That makes sense. Let's talk about accessibility. Uh, obviously, that's a huge thing for WallQuest. It's become a big initiative for us in 2020. Why do you see it as important from a business perspective? Because I, like, I have my thoughts about it from a design perspective, but I'm curious to hear what you think. You know, from a business perspective, you're always trying to expand your audience and delight your customers, right? And if you don't take into consideration that I think it's like 20 to 25% of our population is low vision. And so if you don't take that into consideration when you're building a site, when you're building out, for example, the graphics in a presentation, and you don't really create the tagging so that automated readers for people that are low vision work well, then you're really limiting your audience's ability to engage with your brand. And ultimately, to grow and engage a brand, you want as large a community as possible to feel great about working with you. 
And it's harder for people to feel great about working with you if they don't understand what you're communicating. And everybody learns differently. Everybody processes information differently. So great design and great UI, to me, has accessibility at the forefront. And I think I'm very, not I think, I know that I'm very pleased that at Walk West, both our design and development teams are believers, right? Not just accessibility is something you have to do to check the box, but it's something that we're defining a full partnership with a company called LCI Tech that really works and focuses for users of technology and focuses around digital equity, that we really want to make a difference in this area because it matters, both for kind of the feel good of more people having access, but also the business imperative of growing the number of people that can access a grant. Personally, I think of anecdotal stories about people I know who were unable to access like certain tech platforms or websites or things like that. And the more that like, you know, my parents' demographic gets older and is less accustomed to certain technologies, I just see that more and more. And I realize like we are cutting out demographics that are maybe less accustomed to some of that technology. And so you, you make a good point about, you know, you're limiting access to a user base. But it also, you know, there's a, uh, an intangible connection there as well. Like, for example, my parents don't really use social media all that much. And so they lose an avenue to interact with their niece, who is 3,000 miles away. And they, they're like, they just want to see pictures of her. They want to talk to her. And when you lose that avenue, it degrades so much else in your life. And I'm not saying everything has to be done through technology, but like there are typically secondary effects of a user not being able to access certain websites or certain applications that we don't necessarily consider. Think about like a, uh, you know, a user that needs to log on to an application for like a, you know, a health system and they need to track like their medicinal intake. If that application isn't accessible, that's, health data that's not reaching the source and that's a a patient that's not able to log or track what they need and it causes so many other secondary effects other than just like okay they can't read this website they'll just go access another one you know sometimes people don't have that choice that's right it's like you mentioned the secondary effects because a lot of times we're always focused on the things that are right in front of us and when you take your brand to a broader audience it's a humbling thing because you think about things differently than you have before. And the more you spend time with that broader context, I think it helps you as an individual become more of a whole person and it helps our business. You know, there's a high percentage of millennials and Gen Z folks that choose the organizations they work with and buy from based on diversity and inclusion, based on things like accessibility, based on the good you do in the community. So for us, accessibility is a lot of things, but it's a way to do something that's the right thing to do, has a business value, and helps other people. And so for like, that's, that's all good with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, feels, it just feels obvious, right? right? Like, open up your tech, open up your product to more people. Make it accessible so that more people can engage with your brand, so that you can learn more about your users, and so that you can make a better product. Um, and the thing it just saying, it, sometimes it feels too obvious. <laughs> yeah, it is obvious. And for the hardcore business guy, we're going to help you not get sued. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there is this thing, right? The ADA compliance and the laws and the regs, right? So if all the other stuff we said for the first five minutes didn't get you, right? We're going to help you not get a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Always crucial detail. <laughs> Close the deal. <laughs> right, right. 
so we talked a, a lot about websites. What other points of design do you feel like you've experienced through through your branding? So I appreciate that very much. You know, when you're building out a brand, uh, and this is whether a company or an individual, you want to have all the different touch points for your clients look and feel the same. And so I didn't really understand that completely. I was like, hey, guys, I need a new website. And the team and Chris, you guys were really gracious with this, right? Like you said, well, yes, you do. But here's like a portfolio of things that will build out a brand. And so there was a newsletter template that was built out. There was a PowerPoint template that was built out. There was a logo for, as I started using Zoom more, that I'll use a different logo. You guys were very thoughtful in looking at all the different points of interaction with potential clients and partners and making sure that brand elements were very, very consistent. And that's one of the reasons when I had to have a big idea or wanted to do this or that, we were like, that might look good on the website, but how is that going to look on a mobile application? How is that going to look on a business card? How is that going to look on your newsletter? You need to make sure that your brand consistency on the website transitions to all those other elements. Once you guys taught me that, explained that, I was able to just get right on board kind of with the way that we need to holistically think about the brand. And so overall, I'm a really happy camper and I have a pretty high standard because I look at all different folks that are out there. I'm like, I want that. This person's got 40,000 <laughs> followers. Build me like that. Right. And so I'm yeah. bringing all these examples and you guys were able to hone it down and, and really produce something that not only works for me as an individual, but now that we can replicate this leadership branding process and we can now bring this to other clients. And, and part of our strategy is that if we can develop great relationships with business leaders in our target market and help them with their personal branding and style, that typically is going to lead to other elements of working with their companies and other ventures as well. And so I was pretty much kind of the, guinea pig for lack of a better term in how we could create a, a financially smart package um, that executives and aspiring thought leaders could tap into. And I think it's going to be good for them, but it's also going to be a great way for us to do business development uh, and learn from more people. Yeah. What you described is uh, brand integrity. Uh, it's extremely important in this day and age because customers interact with your brand, like you said, in so many different ways. Maybe they get emails from you. Maybe they you know purchased a product from you and they, they're still start getting email newsletters. Maybe they follow you on social media. Uh, maybe they get mailers to you. You know, Maybe they just look at your website and browse that. There's so many touch points that if your brand isn't consistent across the board, uh, especially in this day and age, sometimes you can get duped into thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm getting ready to purchase a product from this company. Turns out it wasn't actually the company you thought it was. It was just someone who kind of mimicked their brand to try to steal some money from you. Now, granted, that's not a huge problem, but it illustrates why brand integrity is vital for bigger companies, but also for you know people like you who are trying to present themselves as a very professional and you know, thought leader in this way. The truth is, like, if you go out there with your brand all over the place without any kind of cohesive plan, people are going to assume that's the kind of person you are, because they say like, okay, he doesn't have any of this stuff together. Why am I going to assume that he's going to be able to, you know, take care of my project? Why do I think he's going to have like his stuff together during the project, during the plan or anything? We're a very judgmental society. We like, we always say, don't judge a book by its cover, but that's literally like all we do. First impressions are massive. If one has a very shyly put together brand and it looks like, okay, this is kind of weak. It looks like he got like a $10 graphic designer to put this together. 
that's the kind of business they assume you're going to bring to the table. And that applies to agencies, that applies to corporations, retail applies to everybody. If you don't have that stuff locked up right off the bat, people just ignore you and they go to the people that do have that stuff locked up because it tells them, okay, they have a plan, they have their stuff together. It's a great point. I don't have anything to add to that. You <laughs> like that that was right on the bullseye. The that the brand integrity also is a very powerful phrase because it explains in two words exactly what you illustrated. And that's really cool. All right, man. It's always good kicking it with you. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, absolutely. All right, special thanks to Donald. Uh, You can find all the great work we did for his website at donaldthompson.com. And if you're looking to rebrand your personal brand or business, visit walkwest.com. Next up, here's my conversation with Ben Swain of Sports Channel 8. All right, we're now joined by Ben Swain from Sports Channel 8. Uh, SC8 airs on 99.9 The Fan from 10 to 12 on weekdays. If you guys love hilarious off-the-wall sports coverage, these are your guys. So, Ben, thanks for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me on. So, I I wanted to get your story about Sports Channel 8, how it started, how you guys grew from like a a grassroots sports movement uh, (laughs) up to, you know, CBS, you know, 99.9 The Fan. Yeah, um, I guess it all started maybe six years ago. It's hard to it's hard to count now. I knew Hayes Permar from uh, covering sports events. He was the producer of the David Glenn Show, um, which was a, a big sports radio show here in North Carolina, uh, obviously. And then I, I was doing my own thing with a couple different outlets, SB Nation and, and uh, a couple of other uh, different media outlets. And, and we just got to know each other. And honestly, it started as a joke where we uh, – kind of made the comment we were we were at the ACC tournament in Greensboro and made the comment that uh, so many different media outlets were there that never cover anything ACC related but they're going to be there for the ACC tournament and and so we just decided to make up a fictional uh, news station that was there covering the ACC tournament and uh, it just started kind of as a Twitter account and and uh, you know made some jokes on there and then that grew in, in popularity, surprisingly. Uh, and then we kind of got into things that we've always wanted to do with sports. You know, we've never been the kind of people to take sports too seriously and feel like it's just better for, for fans if they uh, enjoy it and calm down a bit versus uh, it being so life or death for fans. And so we wanted to give that lighter voice and Hayes was always a big song parody guy, and so <laughs> he used this as an outlet for some song parody videos and you know some kind of off the wall editorials and and things along those lines. And did a few videos like in a I don't know like a Daily Show style or a Weekend Update style, talking about sports but not really talking about sports. And it just grew, and uh, and I think that's what is so much fun about what we're doing now is we never sat down and had like a three-year plan or a five-year plan of what it would look like at the end. We were just doing our own thing. It was something that we did uh, on the side of that and picked up a a couple of other guys along the way who who shared uh, the same voice and so in the same, uh, same sense of humor as we have. and, And we just like, and it grew. And, you know, again, looking back as what's been rewarding about sports channel eight is it wasn't, 
anything that we ever sat down and said, we want to be this, this is our strategy, this is what we want to look like, this is our structure. It was, uh, it was always just kind of a project of uh, passion, and it worked out for us. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it really took off because of the initiative, right? You know, a lot of people, I think, have an idea like, oh, I want to get into sports coverage, I want to do this and that, but you guys just created content. You just said, I'm going to go out, we're going to do some sports parody you know, videos with Hayes. Uh, you started creating content on the website, you brought in a lot of other guys to, to kind of push that out there. And it just grew steadily over the years. Did you guys have any kind of strategy for that? Or is it more just being yourselves? It's been being ourselves from from day one. Now, as we've started to grow, we've definitely had more conversations about where do we want to take this. And we've gotten a little bit more savvy on the business side of things. <laughs> uh, but but again, at first, it was never – And it, a lot of people want to get into sports media because they want to – get access to go to games or for recognition or publicity or to just push their name out there. And we've never had any of that. Like I said, we were already doing work in sports media and it was honestly just an outlet to be ourselves. And that was the initial goal is we just wanted to uh, do something where we could say what we wanted to say and, and uh, be honest and, and be authentic. And I hope that's what people caught on to when they started following along with sports channel eight and, and looking at the stuff that we were doing is I hope that they felt like it was authentic and just people being themselves versus a strategic, this is what I want to become sort of thing. I, I hope, I hope that makes sense. Cause I guess I, I get asked a lot like, Hey, Hey man, what's your advice on how to get to do uh, you know, sports media. Right. And, and I don't know because like literally where we are right now was just being authentic and, and kind of staying uh, true to our values as people who enjoy sports. And we stick with what we know. If we make each other laugh, then we know it's good. But we never, we've never put anything out that's like, oh, man, this is going to go crazy. Uh, it's never been that sort of thing. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, really. Like, authenticity, it goes so far with people now. You know, we're surrounded by, like, digital and social media platforms all the time that so much can feel inauthentic it feels like you're just being marketed to people just are trying to get you to click on something and so now we gravitate more towards is this person being authentic and when you have that authenticity when you have that knowledge because like obviously I know you've been around triangle basketball and football for a long time Hayes has as well from you know producing David Glenn's show and just being in this area when you had that knowledge already ingrained I think it it's easy for people to latch on to that, especially when you bring like humor to the table. That's just something people are going to gravitate towards naturally. And even from a topic point of view, like we we're all from North Carolina. And I think that's one thing that makes us unique is that we all grew up around here. And this is what we know. We've never tried to branch out into something national or, you know, try to be bigger than what we are. We want to talk about local stuff. We want to talk about the local ACC schools or the pro teams that we like, or even, you know, high school and club sports. We, we talk about that a little bit because that's what we, we know. And uh, we never ventured beyond that, which I think has also been kind of a key to, to being. Uh, and again, like if you ask any of us, are you successful? I don't I don't know, because we we don't have that strategy. Of, <laughs> this is what success looks like. Right. But um, as, as long as there are people who enjoy what we do, I think that's successful. Um, but we just stayed in our lane, um, we, we talk about what we know. We talk about what we're passionate about. So, yeah, we hope that authenticity comes out. 
So I know you uh, have transitioned from like writing about sports, doing podcasts, and now you guys are doing a daily radio show. What kind of transition is that? What has that transition been like for you? You know, moving from one content medium to the next. You know, it's it's honestly like it, it hasn't changed that much because when we started out and we were doing our our own videos, we're talking about the same thing we talk about now. When we did writing, we would write about what we're talking about now. You know, when we did the Sports Channel 8 podcast, uh, we rented out a studio space in downtown Durham and we're doing it out of there. We had our own, you know, uh, studio that we were doing stuff out of. And it's no different than what we're doing now. It's just really the outlet that has changed. Um, and, and the audience has gotten bigger because of that. So that's cool. But it hasn't been that much of a change for us from day one because we just work together so well and haven't really thought about okay, now we're, we're on the radio versus doing a video for, you know, 600 people that are going to see this video. <laughs> if we're lucky, it, it, it hasn't changed. We just kind of brought more people into the party is, is what we, we kind of look at it as. So you spoke about, like, your team chemistry and how that's, that's helped you guys. How important do you think that is, especially for, like, a radio show? When you, guys, when you have, like, a few guys in the studio recording at the same time, how does that chemistry help you? I think it's incredibly important because I used to listen to a ton of sports radio and I, and I really don't anymore. I, I don't know why that is. It could just be life taking me in different directions and I don't have the time to do it, but you would listen to sports radio. And if it was a, a, a twosome or, you know, a, a host and a producer that would play back and forth, you could genuinely tell if they got along or not. And I look at something like the Dan Patrick show, which is always enjoyable to listen to because you can tell that staff like gets along and they enjoy each other. Dan Levitard's group is another one. You can tell that he genuinely enjoys working with the people that he works with. Yeah. So I think that's, that's huge. And, and even me having a day job in the business world where I've been in small businesses, medium businesses and, and large businesses, it's super important to be able to get along with the people that you work with. You don't have to be best friends, but if you have a chemistry when you're working together, it's going to make your product better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, we're in unprecedented times. I mean, this is just it's just weird out there. So what's it like covering the sports world as everything is just shut down? So the content is no different for us. I think uh, we, we kind of joke a little bit about we're Forrest Gump's shrimp boat in the, in the hurricane. Like everything else gets wiped out. <laughs> but this is like our wheelhouse. You know, you give us two hours on the radio to fill time and, and talk about something that's entertaining. Like we'll do that. That's easy. The most difficult part of this has been not being able to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, cause again, part of so much of our show is playing off of each other. Um, and so when you're in a room with someone, that's a lot easier to do than when you're on the phone or, you know, everybody's connecting in through a, through an app or something along those lines. That's been a little bit difficult. I think we've, adapted okay to it but for us that's been the biggest change is just not being able to physically be together to uh to share those ideas because we do our best work honestly when we're just able to throw out an idea and and run with it and that hasn't been all that easy to do with uh with how things are right now yeah i mean i've always found like i've been podcasting for about four years now and i've always found that the shows that we do when we can actually get together and you can read body language you can kind of feel the room out they just always seem to go so much more smoothly than the ones where we record over skype like we're doing right now there's just a 
I don't know, that interaction you miss. And I feel like it, it, it raises the quality a little bit more if you can be in the studio together. Yeah, we're um if if you want to think about our our group, we're we're not like radio hosts at heart. We're like comedy room writers at heart, and so so much of the stuff that we talk about is just a result of somebody throwing out kind of a throwaway joke that maybe one person laughs at, and then okay, we're onto something. Let's tweak it. Let's make it into something and put some put some structure around it. That's the way that we've always worked together. And so we're missing out on that tremendously. It's not even just the on-air stuff. It's what happens when commercials are playing, you know, something funny happens in the studio. And then that's, that's our topic for the next segment. Uh, we don't have any of that now. So you guys don't really like, do you sit down and make a show plan for like the full week for like each show, just kind of make sure you hit certain topics or is it just kind of, you know, free will once you get into that room? We are very lucky that we've had legitimate radio producers working with <laughs> us, with, with this, who, who they'll, they'll send out uh, a week's worth of Google docs and we'll throw, you know, ideas together in different time blocks. We do have a structure going into each show. But we definitely leave ourselves room to go off of that if the situation calls for it. So we do have structure around the show. We do have things planned out. Obviously, when we do something that's in writing or do a video, that's something that is meticulously planned out. Um, and we actually t take that pretty seriously. But uh, I think our, our best work is in a radio setting where we can play off of each other and, and, and ad lib a bit. And that's, that's what we do. But we do have a little bit of structure behind it. All right, Ben, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. I've got one question for you before we go. Michael Jordan was named the greatest college basketball player of all time. Are we sure he's even in the top three in triangle basketball history, just looking at Duke, Carolina, and NC State? Because I'm not, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, 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 it goes back to what you said earlier. Everything that is like that right now is designed – to elicit conversation. Right. And so if ESPN comes out and says, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest college basketball player of all time, no one's really going to argue with that. And so it makes perfect sense to come out with something a little bit controversial, but also somewhat believable because best really is up to whoever's talking about it's it. It's so right? subjective, yeah. If you're talking about best ever in basketball, you know, you've got Kobe, you've got LeBron, you've got Michael Jordan – but if you're talking about college basketball, two of those guys didn't play college basketball. And so the conversation is pretty easily switched to Michael Jordan. So, yeah, you can interpret it that way and, and argue that point. But, yeah, in terms of in terms of college basketball players, if you're only looking at what they did in college, then, then no, he's not in that conversation. Uh, and I'm not even sure he's top 20 if you want to think about, about it that way. But, you know, I'm, I'm also the guy that if you're telling me to – rank all-time Duke guys, I'm putting Zion number one, and I'm entertaining putting Kyrie on that list. So, I mean, um, Kyrie, I think, is the harder <laughs> conversation to have, but Zion, I think it, it's pretty easy to have if you especially take guys into consideration for one year. But it's a topic for another time. Uh, yeah. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. This is great. Absolutely. Good talking to you again, Chris. Thanks again to Ben for sitting down with me. You can find the guys on social media under at Sports Channel 8. During the sports shutdown, the team has been finding new and inventive ways to stay busy. That'll do it for this episode of Talk West. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. 
To find out more about one of the fastest growing agencies in North Carolina, go to walkwest.com.